So my prayer and my hope, and I know this team's hope and prayer for you as well, is that you will not leave today without experiencing the grace and the peace and the love and the freedom that's found in the person of Jesus. That is our prayer. That's our hope. And uh, we're hoping that this series that we will continue going through will also help you in that. We've been walking through a book in the New Testament. It's a book called Hebrews. It's a very interesting book. Um, You can follow along using the bulletin. If you're online, you can follow along using the app. Lots of different ways you can connect. But this is going to be a fun message. So every once in a while, a pastor gets to teach a message that they know before they're going to teach it, they're going to have some fun with it. This is one of those messages because it gets into something today that I enjoy very much, which is something called the tabernacle. And we'll get into that in time and just a little bit of time. But let me catch you up in case you're joining us for the first time. This book we've tried to present in such a way to help each and every person that's been doing the reading or has ever read the book of Hebrews to understand that there was a group of people just like you who in many ways had found themselves in a captivity and it was a captivity surrounded specifically around religion. And that the author of this amazing book wanted to present to this group of people, Jewish Christians, that the idea that Christ had purchased everything for them was far superior to every religious experience that they had ever had. And it radically changed their understanding. And so if you want to go back, we're in week nine of this, but we've been having a blast with this. So today I want to give you this idea as we continue on, as we look at this next chapter, chapter nine, we're going to look at some pieces of it, that there is this idea of holier, or holy, holy, and holiest, okay? So let me break that down for you. So if you've ever been around someone, um, let me break this down in a negative way and then maybe in a positive way so everybody can grasp it, okay? Have you ever been around someone that you would say is a holier-than-thou kind of person? Okay, some of you are like, yes, you cringe right away. So, so there's this side of this that I think in our American culture that gets a negative light. And it's the idea that people hold that holiness in such a way that makes other people feel inferior as they try to approach and come close to God. That's what we would call the holier than thou. But when you look at the concept of holiness in scripture, it doesn't look like that. It's very different. In fact, if you go back to last week's message when we talked about old and a new covenant, which is the idea of how we have a relationship with God, you see both of those. The old covenant can turn into a holier than thou. People that are able to follow the law a specific way, hold it over the people that maybe can't. But then this new idea, this new covenant, this new connection says, no, no, it's not about that. It's about that Christ himself has purchased this beautiful and wonderful, holy relationship for you. And it's not only a whole with an H, but it's a whole as being it's full. Okay. And so as we looked at that, you're going to come now as the author begins to push this in, he wants you to see different ways from the old into the new of how holiness can be really beautiful and wonderful. So that's, that's the core of this message. So I'm only give you two different perspectives again on this. If you grew up Catholic, how many Reformed Catholics do I have in the room? Okay, got you. Okay. Um, or Anglican, got you. Episcopal, Greek Orthodox, any of the, okay, any of those. You heard of something called a saint. So when you hear the word saint, you think of someone that went through this official process that they said, yep, that person's pretty good. They're the holier than thou person. We're going to put our kind of seal of approval on them. And that's it, right? And then you got a guy like Eugene Peterson who wrote a translation called The Message, who all of his life, he grew up more Pentecostal, wanted desperately to be a saint. The difference in their two perspectives was Eugene just wanted to be close to God. 
near to God, feel God's presence, God's heart, God's character. And he realized that literally from just being that close to him, sainthood would naturally follow and had nothing to do with his performance, but everything to do with the relationship. So one's based on religion saying, we put the seal of approval on someone. The other idea of sainthood is, no, no, no. It's about getting closer to the person of Jesus. And those two pictures you're going to see today in a very unique and wonderful and Bible geek way that I love through something called the tabernacle. So the tabernacle literally means that God dwells that God dwells with his people. And he gave them this wonderful symbol in the Old Testament that the author's gonna reference, but the author's gonna say, now I'm gonna show it to you in a different way. And this is so cool for those of you that read scripture, because let me give you the principle that's here that's even deeper. When you read the Old Testament, some of you really like the Old Testament, right? When they start ripping doves in half and women have weird things going on, and you're like, this is a weird book, right? What you don't know is all of that symbology, all of those things that are in form are actually meant to show you the person of Christ in a picture form. But in the New Testament, he's laid out in explicit form, just plain. And this is, you're going to see this laid out in this passage. So as we do this, I'm going to introduce this concept to you called the tabernacle. So we're going to throw that up on the screen. And as Kevin throws that up on the screen, you're going to get a mini history lesson. You're like, I didn't come for history, but you're going to like this. Trust me. You're going to like this. So this is how people worshipped that were Jewish back in the day. Okay. This is how they worship. So when they had something go wrong, they came into what was called the outer court and they would slaughter an animal. Now, some of you are like, that's gross. You know, I'm a vegan, right? I'm sorry. Okay. But here's the reality. This is what they did because the wages of sin is what? And it costs blood to cover over a tone for sin. So they'd have to slaughter an animal to get close to God and repair relationships with one another. Then there's this cool article we'll talk about later called the brazen labor, the rape labor. It's where the priest would wash. You'll see how this connects. And then only the priest could go into that next little room in there, which we'll talk more about, called the holy place. And then there was the holy of holies. And for those of you all that love Raiders Lost Arks, my geeks out there that love Raiders, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And in this passage we're going to read, just in a moment, in Hebrews 9, we're going to start with verse 1. You're going to see that the author says this is a heavenly symbol of something much deeper that's a reality. And he wants this young church that grew up with Jewish tradition to get the deeper, more explicit truth. So we've got a Bible, open it up. We also got the scriptures for you in here. Let's read along in Hebrews chapter nine, certain one, we're gonna go down to five first. It says, now the first covenant we talked about had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. That's what you just saw. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. There was, um, this was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, or the holy of holies, which had the golden altar of incense and the, and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar, or contained, yeah, the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant, in other words, the Ten Commandments. Above the ark were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these in detail now. And if you read the rest of this chapter, what you're going to see is that the author of this book wants the people to see through this picture, which we're going to get into, how this affects our life of worship of God now. 
So let me break this down for you. So you can throw that picture back up if you want, Kevin. We're going to be all over the place today. So here's how I've broken this down for you. The first thing is this holy place. This was the outer courtyard where the bull is. And you see that fire that's going on, all those tables. And they had this thing that was called um, the, the brazen altar. And then you had this laver, which was a place to, to wash for the priest. Now, why this is so important, why it's so holy, is I want you to be to see a picture. This picture is connected specifically to a place that you and I worship every week. Where is that? Give it to me, church family. Come on, this is interactive. It's Sunday. It's the Sunday worship celebration. It's what you're in right now. So, so your worship service is that initial connection to God. It's where you deal with issues probably regarding your sin with God and where you hopefully are dealing with issues with one another as you hear God's word preached. And it's the first place that you come close to God, but it's not the closest you come to God. So what we've kind of put that in for you to help you understand, that's just Sunday worship. That's your first fill-in, okay? So this right here is Sunday worship. Now, they came here more often. It wasn't necessarily literally a week, uh, weekly for them. But when they were having to deal with something, and something was going on in life where they were having a struggle with other people, which you never have that, right? Or having a struggle with God, they came to the outer courtyard. And it was there that they began to deal with this relational issue and starting to initially get closer to God. So think about what this is. So if you've never seen this, the brazen altar was where they laid their offering. Now, there's lots of ways on a Sunday, church family, where you lay your altar into this place. Let me, let me give you a couple. Uh, Gwyneth and I were talking a little bit. I was listening more to what she was sharing because it was pretty, pretty, pretty cool as they were prepping for worship. And she was talking about how some people can't sing. You can't carry a tune in a bucket. Where are you? I know you. Okay, so, but, but love the fact that when you open your mouth to sing with what you have, that you are essentially bringing your offering. Let me, let me give you something that maybe you've never heard in church that maybe can profoundly under, help you understand this reality again. When you come to church, you don't come to get something. That's an American idea, but it is not a biblical idea. The reason you really are supposed to come to church is to worship someone. And the way that you worship someone, not me, I hope, is you give them worth. And you do that with your voice. You do that with your presence. Sometimes you're so broken in the middle of the pain of your life, you may not be able to open your mouth, but you stand here in your brokenness and you offer it to God. That's this right here. That's that sacrifice. They would literally let the whole animal be consumed as an offering to God. The other thing that they would do is they would help to feed the priest. Thank y'all. Okay. They help feed the priest. So some different offerings, they'd get the leg or they'd get this piece or they'd, they'd lay it out. And a lot of you bring time, talent, and you bring treasure to Sunday. You know that there were three type, or there were actually five different types of offerings that were brought here. And three of those were voluntary. They were called the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering. Today, that's your time, your talent, and your treasure. Notice that none of those things are about what you get, but they're about what you give. It's about what you offer. 
So, so the author of this book was trying to help you and I understand it's not what you get when you come, it's what you give that actually brings you deeper into the relationship. Two of the offerings were what were called mandatory offerings. They were not volitional. Do you know what the two offerings that were mandatory were? Was the sin offering and what was called a trespass offering. The sin offering was the recognition that if you did not bring that animal that you didn't purchase that animal and allow that animal to be sacrificed, that your sin stood still between you and God. And that that was supposed to be dealt with in every one of these situations. The trespass offering was you messed up with fellow man and woman in your life. And that you had to deal with that relationship. These two were mandatory. The others were volitional. You see that on Sunday. Volitionally, you get to sing. You don't have to, but you get to. Volitionally, you get to give financially to see God's ministry go forward. You don't have to, but you get to. You get to serve the church and the community around you in so many different ways. You don't have to, but you get to. Those are volitional offerings that God wants to see in our lives today. And that's where we give God honor and worth. But the two things that you and I don't get to choose to do is to deal with our personal sin between us and God. And deal with our sin with our fellow man and woman. Those are have-tos. And if you look at that, this is what is known in the Christian church as the gospel. It's the good news. The good news is you and I can't deal with those two mandatory issues. That's why Christ dealt with them for us. You see, he lived the life that you and I couldn't live. This is as far as we could get if we were in this system. We couldn't get into the holier places because we weren't holy enough. And you're going to see in a second, but Jesus purchased your and my presence to get close to God. And he did it when he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live for 33 and a half years, never sinned in thought or deed. And then he sacrificed his own blood and his own body so that you might be forgiven of your sin. And that brings you in perfect relationship with the Father. And when you walk in that and live in that and make Jesus the priority and Lord of your life, guess what happens to the other relationships around you? Those peace offerings become very much more in focus of how you're to live. So this is the outer court. This is your Sunday worship. When you come, you should be thinking about what is God doing in my life? How is God moving? Where have I got relationship problems with one another? And where is my relationship with God where the gospel of what Christ has done when he died for me that needs to fix that and be infused in that? Now, once you have that relationship with Jesus, once you know that he's died for you and you're living for him, guess what? You get to walk into this place, which is the holier part. This is the holier part. And the holier part might surprise you. And I was praying over this. What I saw so clearly is that's groups. For a lot of you, it's a growth group. It can also be a ministry group, a mission group. But you have to hang out with other people. And I'm going to show you. There are three different articles, three different pieces of furniture that are in this place that I think show you why you have to be in community with other people. And right now, people, we're not good at this. We kind of like to show up and split, but we don't like to share our life intimately with other people. Because when we start to share our life intimately with other people, like we had the men's, uh, men's breakfast just Saturday, they might judge you. you. You might show something vulnerable to them that they can abuse. 
But this is where real relationships start to take place, and it's a holier place than just showing up on Sunday. In fact, let me show you these articles. They're very interesting. The first one that we're going to show you is called the Table of Showbread. I got a picture for you of it. There were 12 loaves of bread that were placed on this once a week. It's interesting how often you're supposed to meet with your growth group once a week. Just kind of interesting fact. And these pieces of bread represent the 12 tribes of Israel, all based on relationship, all based on community. And of course, the bread represents something very simple, the literal nourishment of God's word. And I'm going to tell you, I'll teach you the best I can on a Sunday, but the best time you will be nourished is not here. It's when you get intimate and real in group. When you start revealing, here's my pain, here's my hurt, here's what's going on, here's what I'm doing with God's word, here's my struggles, and people start to pray with you, pray over you, and share their life with you. Whew, that is a holier place. It's the place also where you hear the apostles teaching. How many apostles, church? How many pieces of bread? Not coincidence. I'm telling you, you get to see a heavenly reality built out in the tabernacle, which is so amazing. And when you look at this, you begin to understand that that nourishment sometimes comes from a different piece of bread than you actually imagined. It's amazing how my kids still teach me, how I learn things from them as they engage with God's word, how my wife instructs me at times in her struggle and how she works through God's word. And how people in my group sometimes show up with just something. I'm like, gosh, that's profound. That's amazing to see how God is at work in your personal Bible reading. This is a holier place. It's a pretty cool place. Also in this little room called the the holier place, okay? This this place here was something called the lampstand. It's a very interesting piece of furniture, by the way. Lots of different studies done on this piece of furniture. Anybody want to guess how many different um, bulbs and instruments that were on it, like with the acorns? It's interesting to find out. The gaps in there are 27. Go ahead, you can count them. So they're the gaps. How many books in the New Testament? Not, I'm telling you, there's so many things of a spiritual heavenly reality that are infused in this picture that God gives us in the Old Testament. It's amazing. But here's what I want you to see about that lamp. It gave light to everything in that inner chamber. When you're in group, you want to know what gives people life and light? It's your story. It's what we call the winds. People think we're joking about that. I don't joke about it. When I get to hear how God's involved in your life and how he showed up and what he did in your family and what he did at your work this week and how he's involved in your community and the miracle that you saw this week and the way that you saw it, I am encouraged And the light of God pierces the darkness of the room that I'm sometimes in. You ever been there? Ever been in that dark place and you're just not sure where God's going to show up and how God's going to show up? And then you show up to a Bible study, you show up to Sunday school, you show up to growth group, you show up to a mission team meeting, you show up somewhere and somebody shares a testimony. That's what we, call, we used to call those. We call it a win. And they say, here's what God's doing. And you go, wow. And you're lighter. Your burden is lighter. You see the very presence of God in the life of other people. And that's what that did. That lampstand shone to everything in that room and brought light to that place. That's what's supposed to happen in our groups. And of course, then there was the altar of incense. It's a cool looking thing like this. 
And uh, the altar of incense, the, one of the Levite priests would go there and he'd put the incense on the altar and they would burn it. And it was known as a fragrant offering before God's presence. And as you read scripture, there's another place you hear that phrase, isn't there? The prayer of God's saints or people appears before the altar of heaven as a fragrant offering. That's your wrestles, church family. Those are the things when you bring them before God, you have no idea how they're going to get solved. You don't have no idea how it's going to work out. You don't see whether God's in it or not, but you offer it anyway as a fragrant prayer. And before God, he just says, that's good stuff. It's pleasing to God. One of my favorite things I get to do when we launch in the fall, we do a couple classes. We keep building on them, but one of the classes is called Growing with Grace. We teach people how to be more engaged in their groups, how to understand the Bible better, how to engage in their prayer life a little deeper. And when we do that class, my favorite part, so I'm not trying to scare you if you show up for that class, is we actually break people into groups. And we say, we've talked about prayer, but now you're actually going to, you're going to do it. You're going to pray into the Bible. You're going to pray into your group time. And it's my favorite part. And I, I, please, please don't judge me for this, but I love walking around. And I love listening to your prayers. And I get this picture in my head of, the, of this altar. And I'm like, gosh, these are the prayers of God's people. And they're so good. So authentic. So real. So broken. So desperate. So wanting God to show up. And if I can hear that as just a mere human being, I'm like, that has to be amplified ten times over before God. When we begin to pray honestly in groups when we begin to really get honest about our prayer life, what a great picture of what God wants in a group. He wants you sharing his word, his bread. He wants you sharing the light of your testimony to other people. And he wants you to share the things you're wrestling with the most deep with that group so that you might be prayed for, not judged, but accepted and loved for the reality of what's happening in your life. And then the last thing that you see right here is what's called the holy of holy or the holiest. And gang, this is what our church, we love to call a hang time. Now I want you to see how opposite this is from the way that you and I think generally about church. We generally think church is going to be the holiest thing, don't we? Then we think groups just kind of a hangout because we get good food. Well, some of you get good food, okay? And then we will take and leave our hang time and not even consider it to be the most important thing. If you don't know what a hang time is, it's the daily time a person spends in prayer and with reading God's word. And what I want you to know is that's the holiest time because what we know about the holy place or the most holy place is there was only one piece of furniture in it. Anybody know what it was? It was the Ark of the Covenant. That promise, that relationship. And you know the Ark of the Covenant, right? That's pretty cool looking, right? That's what we think it looks like because nobody knows what it looks like. It got stole. We don't know where it is right now. But, but the Ark of the Covenant, if you've seen Indiana Jones, again, great picture of that, okay? First one before they got goofy and weird. This is this idea. And what you don't know is the two angels at the, in the center of that was called the mercy seat of God. And, and what they believe, the Jewish people believe that the very presence of God left heaven and resided there at that top cover, right there at the mercy seat. And the only person that was allowed to go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement was the high priest 
Only after he had sacrificed and made, cleansed himself and done all these different things ceremonially to be in the presence of God. He was only there for a little bit of time to offer a sacrifice for the forgiveness of the people, their unintentional sins. But he was the only one in there. These has bells, by the way, on his, his kind of robe. They used to tie a rope around his ankle just in case he got struck dead by the, the holiness and presence of God. So they just drag him out, right? Because they couldn't go in after him. So they just drag him out. It never happened, by the way, but it's just kind of cool that they would do that. But here's what I love about this picture for you and I. The holiest place you will ever enter is not church. It's not even group. It's your personal time with God. It's where you really get vulnerable and real. It's where you open up your heart before him and you say, this is who I really am. And what you'll realize, which will floor you, is that God says, I know. And I love you right where you are. And I'm loving you in relationship toward holiness of who I am. Not based on anything you do, but based on the person of Jesus who purchased your way into the most holy place. And when you begin to see this, it changes how you think. It changes how you live. This is why we do a reading plan with every series we do. You don't have to do our reading plan. Our goal is to just give you multiple tools for you to engage in God's word and spend time in prayer with him. Because that daily is where real change happens. And it's the holiest place. I was telling a member here earlier as we were just hanging out talking about this idea of a hang time that I want you to understand this, that God, the God of the universe, who created all things, waits every day for you. Every day he waits for you to spend time with him. And he's excited to spend time with you. Not a lot of people in our lives are like that. But the creator of the universe every day waits for you to spend a little bit of time with him to pray and to catch his heart and to read his word, to hear his love for you. And when you have that every day, you are transformed. You will be saintly. And it's the daily discipline of that hang time that is the thing that changes people the most. And it's why it's the holiest place. And it's the place we consider the thing that we can come to and throw away and it's not that important and yet it's the holiest thing that we can do is have that personal hang time with Jesus. I love that in Hebrews 9, we, we, we couldn't just gloss over this and not give you this part of this passage, but in 9 it also says in 27 through 28 as you get to the bottom of this, this passage, it says, just as man is destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to all those who are waiting for him. The reason this is important is, depending on how you read this right now, will tell you where you really are in your faith. If you read that passage and you went, eh, okay, it means you're apathetic in your faith. It's a dangerous place to be because it means you're what the Bible calls lukewarm. You're on neither one side or the other. It's the worst place. Then there's those that, that read it and you went, I'm terrified of that day. 
that I will stand before God with every deed that I've ever done or not done and be fully judged that it's terrifying for you. That means that you don't understand the grace of God, by the way. And then there's those that read that and they're broken to the depth of their heart, literally ready to weep because they know Christ has purchased their freedom and redemption and forgiveness and that no one has anything to accuse them of because Christ paid for it all. Those are the three places you can be. That's why my last question for you is, are you excited or are you fearful of the judgment of God? Those that walk in a relationship with Jesus have nothing to fear because Christ has purchased everything for them. Those that are apathetic, it's a dangerous place because you don't understand the severity of that judgment. Every single person will one day be judged based on the relationship we have with Jesus. And for those of you that walk in fear and you walk thinking you have to live a holy life and that a holy life looks like this and you have to perform for God, you need to be set free because Christ did all that for you on your behalf. Holiness is not something you achieve. It's something you lay hold of in a person. And that will change the reality of how we see our relationship with God. So where are you today? Where do you find yourself? In one of those three places, what I do know is you can make it right and you can make it whole and you can make it where God wants it to be simply by being genuine and honest and transparent before God and then giving your life to him either fresh and new or for the first time. Let's do that. That's why you're here today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for such a wonderful picture in the Old Testament. Thank you for a wonderful picture that you gave to the Jewish people of holiness, of your character, of the goodness of who you are, but how when we rely on ourselves, we can't get close to you. Thank you, Father, that Christ purchased for each and every person watching, listening, and in this room freedom, and not just freedom, but freedom into a perfect relationship with the Creator. Father, that freedom begins when we recognize our sin, that we are separated from you based on how we live, not only injuring your heart by not living your way, but also as we hurt one another. Father, we take this moment and this time to confess to you, for only you to hear, knowing that you already know what we're going to confess, that you accept us where we are, that you love us, but we need to recognize our sin and how it separates us from you and other people. Father, we present that to you now. Just pray to God in your own heart, in your own mind, and present the one thing that you feel like is keeping you from one another or from your Father in heaven.